Hello, my name is Sister Marie Veritas, and I'm a Sister of Life, and it is a great joy to be here with you, uh, even virtually, at the Cardinal O'Connor Conference. Uh, the Sisters of Life, we were actually founded by Cardinal O'Connor in 1991 as a, a community of women religious, and we take a fourth vow to protect and enhance the sacredness of human life. So all of our missions uh, flow from that, flow from that consecration and that prayer. Uh, we care for women who are vulnerable and pregnant um, and in need of help uh, and their unborn children. Uh, we invite those wounded by abortion into the mercy and healing of Jesus. Uh, we foster a culture of life through evangelization, uh, retreat works, and we also spiritually accompany college students and uphold the beauty of marriage and family life. Uh, so again, really a great gift to be with you uh, and here today speaking about listening people into life. So I thought we could just start with a prayer. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for your goodness, your blessings, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you for making us in your image and likeness. We pray, Lord, that you fill us with your spirit. Help us to know deeply your love for us and our own goodness. We entrust ourselves to you and all the needs and intentions of our hearts to you and to our Blessed Mother. As we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Mother of Life, pray for us. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. So one of our sisters was visiting her family, and her three-year-old niece, Chloe, had just learned how to tell secrets by whispering into people's ears. And so she said, Auntie, I want to tell you a secret. And so his sister's like, okay, 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 you know. So she bent down and waited for the secret. And Chloe cupped her hands and leaned in and started giggling. And sister said, what's so funny? You know, I thought you were going to tell me a secret. And Chloe said, I was, but you have no ears. <laughs> you know, the world needs our ears. You know, the cry of every human heart is, do you know who I am? Do you see me? Do you have what will satisfy my thirst? You know, and what do we thirst for, right, as human persons? We thirst to know that we matter, that our life has meaning, that we're good, that we're loved, and that we're lovable. Because the reality is, you know, in today's busy, efficiency-driven world, it's easy to forget who we are as human persons, right? We forget that we're loved. We, we forget what we're made for. Right? Society tells us that our worth is measured by what we can do, produce, and achieve. And so often we can hear those little voices, right? That say, you know, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're not pretty enough. He's better than you are. You're nothing, right? These little doubts and fears nip at us and can make us anxious or heavy or in darkness. But these, these are lies. You know, a couple of sisters and I were once speaking to a really tough guy. He was, you know, covered in tattoos and wore a black leather vest and drove a Harley. And in the course of the conversation, uh, he joked that he was an accident, that his parents didn't really want him. And I said, no, you're not an accident. 
You know, from all eternity, God chose you and he desired you to be. He loves you. You are intentional. And he got kind of misty-eyed and he said, quote, you got some sick rhetoric, end quote. And I knew enough that that was a compliment of some kind. Um, And then he swore a bunch and he kind of like changed the subject. But I could see that something had powerfully hit his heart. And it seemed to me that all the tattoos and the bike and the foul language were really his reaching out to encounter something, you know, someone who would tell him that he was good. You know, people are literally dying to hear that from all eternity, God desired them. You know, and listening someone into life uh, means reminding people of this very basic truth that they are good. You know, it means receiving them. It means reminding them who they are and whose they are. You know, it means crying out to the world that each person, you know, God chooses you. You matter. You are good. You are sacred. You know, you are loved. He wanted to make you in his own image and likeness, a unique and unrepeatable reflection of his glory. There is nobody like you, and there never has been or ever will be anybody like you. You are irreplaceable. Your worth comes from the fact that you are created and loved infinitely by God because you are you and because he is love. You know, and that love has a beautiful plan for your life. Cardinal O'Connor, he once told our sisters, he said, I'm just going to quote him extensively here. It's a very beautiful quote. He said, quote, We are not adversaries of the women tempted to have abortions. We are not adversaries of the women who have had abortions. We are not adversaries of the men who have abandoned them. They are Christ. They are part of the body of Christ. Mother Teresa says, give God permission. Let God reach out through you. Let the Holy Spirit flow through you and heal. Let the ministry of reconciliation go to work. The Christ who said, pick up the pieces lest they be lost. There's much shouting and screaming. There's much anger. There's much bitterness and hostility. In part of the letter uh, of the Ephesians, Paul, St. Paul says that we have to exchange bitterness for love. We don't want to en- let any words of malice pass our lips, any evil, anything hurtful or spiteful. How desperately this gentleness is needed. And if we're going to pick up the pieces of this broken world, if we're really going to show the world the sanctity of human life, It must be everybody's life. It must be the life of the prostitute. It must be the life of the drug dealer. It must be the life of the man who tells a woman, unless she has an abortion, he won't support her. It must be the life of the doctors who make fortunes out of abortion. It must be the life of the nurses who assist. If that must be the life of those who work for Planned Parenthood. All these people are sacred to God. We have to heal. End quote. You know, the life issues, so abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide, etc., they're fraught with argument and controversy. So how do we engage in conversation about them? How do we engage with those with whom we disagree? You know, how do we engage with those who are vulnerable, with those who have suffered? 
you know, one of the most healing and life-giving things we can do is to truly listen to people. This listening has the power to change not just our personal interactions and relationships, but the entire cultural landscape. You know, making space to listen to God and to others brings life and light. You can literally listen another person into life. So how do we do this, right? What's what's the basis of all listening? Receptivity. You know, receive. Receive God. Receive yourself. Receive others. So we'll just look at those three points uh, very briefly here. First point, receive God. You know, so before we can truly listen to or receive anyone else, uh, we first have to experience our own selves as lovable, as good. We have, to, we have to experience that we ourselves are received and seen and listened to and chosen. And so in order to even receive ourselves, we must receive God. You know, Jean Corbon, who wrote part of the prayer section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, he said something to the effect of, the greatest thing that the human person can do is to receive God. And so prayer is really essential for this. And it, it reminds me of a story that I'll just share with you uh, of Dr. Elvira Pervicini. Uh, she's one of our co-workers and a neonatologist in New York City. And she started working with a team of doctors in high-risk pregnancies. Uh, and so meeting with these doctors, discussing these, these situations, and Dr. Pervicini found that she was one of the only people who would advocate for the lives of the children and their mothers. Uh, all the other doctors would prescribe abortion. And one day she was presented with an extremely challenging case. It was a 15-year-old mother and a 15-year-old father, and they were pregnant with conjoined twins. Uh, it was two girls attached to the chest. They shared one heart, and everybody knew it would be impossible to save them. But this heroic teenage couple decided to continue with their pregnancy, and Dr. Paravicini walked with them on this journey. And on the day of the delivery, the operating room was crammed with people, like doctors, nurses, interns, med students, you name it, right? And they, they weren't really there out of compassion, uh, but they were sort of there out of curiosity to see this sort of strange and freakish occurrence of Siamese twins being born. And a lot of heartless comments were, were being made, you know, things to the effect of kind of like this should have been taken care of months ago, what a tragedy, what a waste of resources, you know, why, why didn't they get an abortion, things like that. But the murmuring hushed when the twins were born. Little Keela and Kayla were born embracing one another, weighing only about a pound and a half each. And the young father asked Dr. Pervicini if he could hold them. And he took his barely breathing daughters into his arms and he said, don't be afraid, daddy's here, daddy's here. And silence filled the operating room and many tears were shed and a hush fell over everyone. And such, such a powerful beauty manifested itself that every single heart in that room was changed. And after a few moments, Dr. Pervicini asked the young father if he would like her to baptize his little girls. And he said yes. And she began to make the sign of the cross on the first. She said, I baptize you, Keila. And at that, at that moment, the father grabbed her arm and stopped her and said, no. 
She's Kayla. This is Kayla. You know, the gaze of that teenage father upon his infant daughters is like the gaze of God the Father upon you. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He calls your name. And he takes joy in you. I don't know if you know that. He takes joy in you. And in this moment, God holds you in this, this gaze of such supernatural, abundant, particular, personal love. You know, and it's in this gaze that we come to know that we are worth so much more than any human achievement, right? We're worth more than the stuff we own or what we can do or produce. That love alone defines the human person. You know, John Paul II says that Christ reveals man to himself. Before we can engage in any conversation about life and love, we need to allow ourselves to listen to God, to be gazed upon by God, to be fed by God, carried by God, loved by God. You know, on March 25th, 1993, Mother Teresa wrote a letter to her sisters in which she implored them. And I'm just going to read it for you. She said, quote, Jesus wants me to tell you again how much love he has for each one of you beyond all you can imagine. I worry some of you have still not really met Jesus one-to-one, -one, you and Jesus alone. We may spend time in chapel, but have you seen with the eyes of your soul how he looks at you with love? Do you really know the living Jesus, not from books, but from being with him in your heart? Have you heard the loving words he speaks to you? Ask for the grace. He is longing to give it. He knows your weakness. He wants only your love, only the chance to love you. Hear him. Hear your own name. End quote. So the first step to deep listening, really, is listening to God. Taking time for daily personal prayer. You know, we, we can't give what we don't have. If we're not praying, if we're not hearing our own name, if we're not allowing the Lord to love us and heal us intimately through his word and sacrament, if we're not receiving the gift of ourselves, then we can't bring others into that relationship with the Lord, right? So we have to let him look at us. You know, let him fill you with his word. Let him call your name. Let him love you. So which brings us to our next point. Our Receive yourself. So we talked about receive God, receive yourself. Uh, it was a great story of one of the women we were serving, and we were having a, throwing a little birthday party for her little one of her little girls. And it was a great party, and the sisters brought in a big cake, you know, all the candles, and saying happy birthday. And it was kind of epic, this epic moment. And uh, and after that, one of the sisters kind of bends down and says, and asks, you know, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And the little girl, without skipping a beat, she says, I want to be me. <laughs> you know, I want to be me, the gift that I am. You know, prayer, we talked about in the first section, allows us to receive ourself as gift, you know, created by God, his beloved son or daughter. You know, and if, if we don't receive our own person, our own identity as a gift, you know, not something, something that I create, but something that has been gifted to me, a good and beautiful gift, you know, we can face the temptation of self-contempt or the temptation to see ourselves or others as a burden, right? I need to be able to receive myself as a gift before I can truly receive another person as a gift. 
Now, sometimes I think um, the memory of our sins or the memory of our failures um, can obscure the vision we have of ourselves, right? Uh, due to original sin and to the lies of the evil one uh, and to wounds inflicted by others, our vision of God and ourselves can become distorted, right? It's kind of like those those mirrors that you see at like a carnival fun house, you know, those the, one that's, the ones that like distort your image and blow everything out of proportion. So making some of your features look larger than life and others look smaller than they really are, you know? Sometimes we can see ourselves like that, kind of distorted out of proportion, right? Uh, but Jesus sees us truly. You know, he's holding us in being right now, constantly willing us, desiring that we be, right? If he, if he stopped to think about us for a, a, a millisecond, we would not like just stop existing. It would be as if we have ne- had never existed, right? He is choosing us now, willing us, holding us in existence. So we are never... Uh, alone. We are never um, a burden or a disappointment or unlovable. And Jesus is never discouraged by us. He's never discouraged by our weaknesses or failures. Um, He's never deterred by us, never put off by us or disgusted by us, right? And whatever places in our hearts that we're afraid of or that have been wounded, Jesus wants to bring his healing light there to those places to speak to us the truth of who we are. You know, and he calls us to renounce the lies that have been lodged in our hearts and to fix our gaze directly on him. And if we allow him, Jesus will work our glorious redemption in every one of our wounds, a greater good than if it hadn't happened at all. Because there is no sin or darkness bigger than the mercy of Jesus. You know, he loves us. We are good. We are not our sins. We are his beloved sons or daughters. You know, and again, like I said, we are never a burden or a disappointment or unlovable. Uh, it reminds me of a, a story of one of our priest friends. I'll call him Father Theophane. And he went with a group of, of people to C- Central America for a mission trip. And they spent some time uh, in an orphanage serving there. And there was one baby there whom no one wanted to pick up uh, because she had scabies. So I don't know if you know what scabies is, but basically it's like this infestation of microscopic insects uh, in the outer layer of the skin, which causes a rash uh, and very intense intense itching. Um, And it's very easily spread through touch, very contagious. And so Father Theophane, you know, went there and stood and, and looked down at this little baby lying in the crib, whom nobody wanted to touch because she had scabies. And he said, I live in America. You know, he's actually British. He goes, I live in America. There's a cure for everything in America. And so he picked up that little baby and held her close. And she loved it. You know, she loved it. And she was so happy to be held and snuggled right into his shoulder. And he just rocked her and held her for a long time. And eventually they had to leave. And they returned to the U.S. a couple weeks later. When they returned, he noticed that he had an itch. Uh, And it turned out that he had contracted scabies too. But the cure wasn't as simple as he thought, you know. He had to put all his clothes and all his stuff into a freezer. Um, He had to use this special lotion. And he had to go on medication. And it was actually a long process. But you know what he said? He said, I would do it all over again. Just to hold that little baby one more time. You are worthy of love. You are a gift. 
And so part, part of listening, actually, one of the steps is knowing and speaking and listening and hearing, but knowing ourselves to be a gift and responding from that place. Um, and I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give to others is to look at them and be present to them as God looks at as, and is present to us with love, with a gaze of love. This is listening to the other, delighting in the other, which leads us to our next point, receive the other. So we talked about receive God, receive yourself, and now receive the other. Uh, and so in, in the 1980s, uh, Cardinal O'Connor paid a visit to the Dachau concentration camp in Germany, where thousands upon thousands of people were killed uh, and their bodies desecrated. Um, and he said he put his hand in, into the semicircular red brick ovens where they used to burn the bodies of those who had died. And he said he felt in a sort of spiritual way the intermingled ashes of rabbi and priest, Jew and Christian. And he cried out to God, good God, how can human beings do this to other human beings? And he made a promise to do everything in his power to protect human life. You know, Dachau is an extreme example of how the opposite of love, of delight, is not hate, actually, but is use. You know, John Paul II says that anyone who treats a person as a means to an end does violence to the very essence of the person. Why? You know, because they disrespect the fact that that person is made in God's image and is self-determining with his or her own will and destiny. You know, they are an end in themselves. And no one, not even God, can use a person as a means to an end. You know, all of the church's teachings on life and love spring from this stunning truth. You know, uh, they rest in the reality of the human person as one who, who is intrinsically delightful, made in God's image, and never to be used. And Cardinal O'Connor, who, who actually had a, a quite uh, impressive background in psychology, amongst other things, uh, he would often speak of the phenomenon of rejection, the pain of someone experiencing that they are being rejected in their very person. And he said, quote, he said, there are many people who suffer a terrible insecurity rooted, rooted in the fact not simply that they may not be loved at this moment, but that they are incapable of being loved for themselves, end quote, right? This terrible fear that they are incapable of being loved for themselves. Um, it's the most agonizing thing in the world to feel unloved, unwanted, right? It's the greatest poverty. Jesus himself experienced rejection, right? Rejection all the way to the cross. In the Gospel of John, in the, in the prologue of John, it says he came to his own, and his own received him not. You know? And Jesus, Jesus actually said, in a nutshell, but that basically everything boils down whether to, to whether we have received him or not, right? Whatever you did for the least one of these, you did for me. Carol Hoslander, who's uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, she was a British Catholic convert and a mystic and a, an amazing writer. And she had a very deep sense of this, um, the, the beauty of each human person, but also the presence of Christ in every person. She had a beautiful experience of this, uh, Carol Hauslander, 
Uh, she recalled traveling home from work one day on an underground train with kind of everybody traveling home from work. And she said, and I'm going to quote her, she said, quite suddenly, I saw with my mind, but as vividly as a wonderful picture, Christ in them all. But I saw more than that. Not only was Christ in every one of them, living in them, dying in them, rejoicing in them, sorrowing in them, but because he was in them and because they were here, the whole world was here in this underground train. Not only the world as it was at that moment, not only the people and all the countries of the world, but all those yet to come. I came out into the streets and walked for a long time in the crowds. It was here the same, on every side, in every passerby, Christ." End quote. Every person we encounter is holy ground. It's so important to receive the other as a gift, not approaching them as a project or a problem or even an argument to be won, right? We want every person we encounter to experience in our gaze, in our words, in our expressions, our posture, that they are good, that they are important, that they are loved, because they are. You know, and in this way, we, we let go of our tendencies to take possession, to dominate, to unpack without regard. Rather, we carve within our hearts, our minds, our souls, a space that allows the person before us to unfold and be discovered. And as sisters, we call this delighting in the other. When a woman comes to us who is pregnant and vulnerable, we first sit down and have a tea party, literally. You know, we get the cookies out, the tea out, everything. And we literally just let her spill her heart out. What we've, what we've come to term emptying the bucket. And we listen to her story. We listen to her hopes, her dreams, her desires, her fears. And we frequently reflect back to her what she's saying. So maybe she's saying, sister, I'm so scared. If I don't have an abortion, my parents are going to kick me out of the house. My boyfriend's going to leave me. And I don't know what I'm going to do with school. It's, it's a mess, sister. I'm so terrified out of my mind. And we might reflect back something, not verbatim, but something like, gosh, it sounds like you are like you are totally at the end of your rope. You have no idea what to do. You don't see any way ahead. And usually she'll say something like, yes, sister, yeah. I, and she'll, she'll continue, she'll expand. You know, and so it's so important to reflect back to her, we found, so that she knows that someone is actively listening to what she's saying. And in this, we hold up a reflection to her of what we're seeing and hearing, but not only what she's actually saying, but also her own goodness, her own desires, her own beauty. Because until she experiences genuine love, you know, someone delighting in her for her, someone celebrating her, she will not be able to look at her child or to delight in her child. But when she encounters the truth of God's infinite love for her and her own goodness, it is then that a woman in a crisis pregnancy will be able to move forward. When she sees herself beautiful, you know, in the light of God, she has courage. And it's the same with every person we encounter, right? Reflective, active listening and delighting in the other applies to women who are pregnant and in crisis, but also to women and men who have suffered after abortion. 
and to those who are vulnerable to euthanasia and assisted suicide. My mom actually is a doctor in Canada, and when people have asked her for euthanasia, she stops and takes the time to listen to them, right? To listen to their fears, their worries, their hopes, their concerns. You know, and when she's able to hear that, you know, they're afraid of suffering, they're afraid of being a burden, and she's able to assure them, you know, um, of good palliative care, that they're not a burden, that they're, they're a gift, and that they are worthy of being walked with. You know, suddenly they don't want euthanasia anymore. And all because someone took the time to listen to them, to affirm their very being. And this is so important. Our listening, our posture, to affirm the being of the other. Now, affirming the being of another person doesn't necessarily mean that we affirm a person's behavior, right? Or we affirm all their choices. No. You know, in fact, sometimes in order to affirm their being and in order to uphold their dignity, we actually need to help them see that their behavior or their choices are harmful to themselves or others. You know, I want to tell you a little story quickly about a woman I served uh, during and after her pregnancy. I'm going to call her Rosalie. That's not her name, but I'll, I'll call her that. And the first time I ever stepped into her house, I was shocked, you know. It was probably the, the darkest, dirtiest, most disgusting place I'd ever been in. You know, full black garbage bags lay in piles in every available space, you know, filled with trash and clothing. The little I could see of the floor was filthy. The walls were that were smeared with um, dirt and things I didn't want to know and, and punched with holes. Uh, and the air was heavy and smelled of marijuana and, and other things. And everything about that house lied to Rosalie about who she was. That house said to her, you are not good. You are filthy and wrong. You are not worthy. There's no hope for you. And as we journeyed with Rosalie, uh, she opened up to the idea of repainting and refurnishing some of the bedrooms to create a new space, you know, new memories. And I'll never forget the joy in her face as we scraped and patched and painted the walls. She was literally radiating. For the first time, maybe in her whole life, you know, there was a space that was for her, that reflected to her that she was good, that she was worthy of love and care, that there was hope that she could dream. We need to speak truth into lies, light into darkness, peace into disorder. But first, we need to listen to the other. You know, as Christ listened to the two distressed disciples on the road to Emmaus, you know, he, he let them pour out their hearts with, you know, as he walked with them on the wrong way, away from Jerusalem. And then after letting them pour out their hearts, then, it was then that he spoke truth into the reality and revealed himself through the Eucharist. It's in this way, I think, that we're called to engage with others, to relate to them, to encounter them, to first listen to them, listen to their story, listen to their hearts, listen to what they think, listen to the, how they see things, before we can engage in conversation. Because it's in first receiving the other as gift, helping them to know their own goodness as gift, that we'll actually able, be able to engage in true life-giving conversation. A conversation that leads to dialogue and solidarity. Um, conversation that leads to truth and to freedom. Conversation that leads to life 
and to love. And so as we end today, and as we seek to go forward and to receive God, to receive ourselves and to receive the other, uh, we just ask uh, for the Holy Spirit to guide us, to bless us. Um, and we ask for blessings on all those we encounter. We pray for special blessings on all those um, who disagree with us, all those who struggle with, um, with life and love. Uh, with those, we pray for those who advocate for abortion, um, that they might know first their own goodness, the goodness of uh, the women and their children, um, and the goodness of, of the life God has entrusted to us. And so we give you glory, Jesus, uh, and Holy Trinity, as we pray, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was such a gift uh, to, to speak with you, to be with you. Again, feel free to get in contact with us. Our website is sistersoflife.org. Um, again, if you know anyone who's pregnant and uh, in uh, a hard situation, you can tell them to reach out to us. If you know anyone who has suffered after abortion, uh, help tell them to reach out. We have a beautiful ministry of healing, hope and healing after abortion. Uh, also stay in touch with us um, with our magazine, Imprint Magazine, our Let Love podcast, um, and our retreats and other events. Uh, it's all on our, our website, sistersoflife.org. Please know our love and our prayers. God bless you.